Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Everybody said, don't do this. Don't go into the biz. Don't do it. It's a, it's a crapshoot. And then one of my friends, Peter Sussman, said, look, it's a crapshoot, you know, and people win a lot of cash, you know, in Vegas. So other people do it. You should do it. If that's what you want to do, go do it. But don't whine and bitch. It's not like nothing, nothing gets handed to you. It's work. It's so much work. And Neil Simon, back to Neil Simon said, it's all in the work. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, from Montreal at the Montreal Just for Last Festival. It's early in the morning, and I want to tell you I'm very excited because I am here about to interview Kenny Hotz, who is one of the most groundbreaking producers and actors and people of fame who have done something that has changed the course of television. And I'm talking, of course, of the iconic show, Kenny versus Spenny. Before I start, I want to thank all of you so much. Again, I know it sounds like a broken record, but you really are amazing. And here at the festival, I can't even count the number of people that have come up to me and said that they listen and they get a lot out of it. So as you know, what normally happens when I'm doing these podcasts is I will look at my guests and I will think of something that means something to me or it'll come to me or it'll channel through me. And this is kind of an unusual interview for me that I'm about to have because I don't really know Kenny Hotz. I've never really met him. If I have met him, he's forgotten about me. And maybe I have forgotten about him. But he looks very familiar to me, not just from the show, but I feel like I have met him in passing. But the point being is that I don't know him like other people know him. And so I'm just going by a feeling I have, and this is what I'm going to share. When I look at him and I see the footage that I've seen on the show, which is the show that I'm most familiar with, I see a show that is filled with what I like to call, as you all know, holy shit moments. Mm-hmm. And But I also see a show that people still probably question, which is... Is this real or is this fake? 
And nothing is greater in the world than 10 years after you start something and people are still saying, that's fake. No, it's not. It's real. I heard it's real. They do that. And when you create a debate as an artist in the work you do, I don't care if you are working in a 7-Eleven and there's two managers and there's a debate over something you've done in the store that's unique, that's never been done in the store. And the other person's saying, well, I know he told you to put that up that way. No, he didn't. I did it on my own. Anytime there's something that happens in any job where people are talking about it and questioning it, that's something that's going to get you to the next level. And again, I use the 7-Eleven reference, but the guy who does the thing that nobody's ever done before that creates attention, chances are that guy's going to get to manage the best 7-Eleven in town and then move up to work in the company. And so what these guys did, Kenny and his partner Spencer Rice, is create something that just you can't believe what was happening because it was part punked, part competition show, part scripted, part reality. It was truly one of the first hybrid shows that was ever out there that was really, really really popular and the odd couple and laurel and hardy and abbott and costello like to us it was you know based on fundamental hollywood caricatures of the past yes i want to just tell you something about another thing that's very very important in this business that i get from kenny hotz i'm here in the room we're all here we're prepared we want to be prepared and there's a knock on the door 15 minutes before He's supposed to be here. He shows up. And we're prepared for him as best we can, but he's more prepared. And it goes by the old Vince Lombardi quote, which is, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't show up. And the fact that I'm sitting across from a guy who literally was out last night, probably till four in the morning, looks like he's pretty much been drinking all night long. His hair has that kind of look. It's the kind of look of his hair that's either he went to a Sassoon salon or else he just woke up and that's the way it always is. And so what I notice about the show is that when you can create something like that and literally drive forward something, what appears like in the beginning, a lot of their own money and their, a lot of their own ideas and thoughts and probably their own cameras at times getting things going until it really got going and people started writing checks. It almost feels like before anybody really did anything on YouTube, these guys were creating things that they knew would get attention and would be funny. And there's no way that you can watch these shows and not laugh. It's almost like watching Fear Factor as a comedy. And so what I wanted to point out to anybody listening is that, and it seems like such an easy theme, but the chances of success for all of you out there are always going to be if you're doing something that nobody else is doing. If you're doing something that might take certain formulas from the past that work, that always work, like a romantic comedy that you'll go into a theater and see, and you'll know when you see a movie like Trainwreck, yes, you'll see some themes of things you've seen over and over again, but you got to take those themes 
and then you got to put your own individuality into it and your own originality into it to make it something that's going to be really special. And so what Kenny does, and I don't mean to compare him to anybody because I don't want to compare him to anybody, but like when you see a trailer for, let's say, Trainwreck, there's things that are so simple yet so groundbreaking and you don't really understand why hasn't anybody really said this in the movie or done something like for instance when in the train wreck trailer bill Hader says to amy schumer i've only slept with three women and she pauses and she looks at him and says uh, so have i and it's just so simple and so quick and like Kenny does, where he can take anything really quickly and just do something that makes it funny and original and his own, even though I may have heard a faction or a way that he told the joke, but the way he did it was just in such an original fashion that I laughed so hard. And so to me, if I'm going to say anything to you out there in any profession you're in, Please do everything you can to just figure out how to do things that aren't the way that people normally do them. I know when you get into a job, the whole thing is, is they give you the Bible. This is how we do it. This is how we put things together. This is how we've always done it. In a television show, you're working with a showrunner. You just hang over there. I'm going to write this in my bungalow. If you're a stand-up comedian at the club, like, this is how we do it. You don't do this. You don't say this. You don't do that. But the fact is, once you start working yourself into the system where you have that kind of performance in whatever job you're in that shows people that you're a true original, you can keep going and loosen the rope and loosen the rope and loosen the rope to where you get as much as you want to do and you can do anything you want to do. And then when the audiences come, whether they're inside your company or on a worldwide stage like Kenny and Spenny provided for people, you can't help but win and be successful because, as I like to say, America speaks and the world speaks. And so there's a reason why Kenny and Spenny starts on a little thing and then all of a sudden it gets bought by a bigger thing and then goes to the United States on Comedy Central. That doesn't happen if you're not doing something that's blowing people the fuck away. That's not happening if you're not doing original content that's not happening if you're not extraordinary and that's not happening if you're deniable so the fact is do all those things in your work and like this man next to me who has a great sense of humor and is a rebel and i'm sure has twisted a lot of people into a balloon animal where he worked but the fact is when your work is undeniable it doesn't matter what you say to people, how you are. No one can stop you after the world sees what you do. No one can stop you. And your content will always be king and will always take it to the next level. And I can guarantee you, if you use that example, you will never have a problem in, in any business you're in. Well, I, I see it as just like you got to go. You just got to go with your instincts say whatever you want do whatever you want don't conform to anything just just be as confident as you can and do your shit 
And don't let anybody, you know, infiltrate your fucking art. That's it. Just go, go, go. And here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Very few things air here. There's probably one sitcom now airing now that's original. Shitcom. Uh, Mr. D. Mr. D minus. Oh, Mr. F. Yeah, listen. Multicams. Multicam sitcoms. Fucking Lucy was doing it in 1953. All of a sudden. Oh, yeah. So I take it you don't like Mr. D. No, nah, not really. <laughs> listen, <laughs> it's not, not saying it's bad. It's just not for me. Do people like it here? I don't know. I have a demographic, and for me and my friends and my family, it's not for us. But, you know, I'm not into uh, Young and the Restless, and that's been on for 500 years. So it's who cares what the fuck I think? So your show premieres here in Canada. Oh, it premieres here. We're on CBC. We fucking pop. This is in, in it's like Igluknuk, where there's like <laughs> one TV that a bunch of, you know, Ojibwe like families are watching with a coat hanger in it, and all they get is Kenny versus Spenny. And every prison, like it was so subversive. <laughs> it was, you know, we did a show that glorified the cheater, that just went against the entire concept of Canada, that, that just, you know, spat in the face of all our moral you know society and 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 it was just so unique and and absurd and different that that it popped tell me the first time you realized holy shit this show is a hit i was in chinatown with my family and some guys ran up to the table and asked for an autograph and they left my family it was like jaw dropped and i just went like this in my <laughs> Fuck you for not knowing I'm famous. He just licked his middle <laughs> finger and put it out for those of you just listening on audio. Yeah, it's like, fuck you. Like, you know, we knew I was doing. Some... Why do you say fuck you? Because your parents didn't believe it? Yeah, you? my family is like, they're like, oh, that's crazy. I go, I'm on, I have a great show on TV, you fucking idiots. Like, how dare you not, like, you know, relish in my success? Um, but I, I, you know, I was a photographer and. And I think any artist, like when you're doing, this is a great thing that when you're a photographer and you take a a a, 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 a roll of film, you alone look at that roll of film, and I can see uh, these are all shit shots. Oh, I got one picture. You know, nobody has to tell you what is a good fucking photograph, and I could see it, and I knew to me what was a great photograph. And the same thing with Kenny vs. Penny. I we were doing shows, and I knew, I knew this is different, and it's fucking funny, and I know it's going to work. You know, and I, I was doing shitty, you know. You know, experimental films when I was doing, you know, I was in uh, I was in film school. I'm doing like, uh, you know, retarded, stupid, you know, experimental shit. And I'd look at it and go, this fucking sucks, you know, because I was into all these shitty experimental guys. And uh, but then, you know, when you when you get something and you click and you trust your instincts, I, I just I just knew, you know, I, I just knew it would work. So you start blowing up, you start making money and now you have your own place. Yeah. I moved to L.A. in 98. I lived in a garage for five years. I, Chelsea Handler's boyfriend. I was living in his 
backyard in a garage for five fucking years, no car in LA, banging fucking, you know, old Jewish piggers so I could fucking eat like all of my everything I had my salt my pepper my napkins my toilet paper was all from a Carl's Jr. in back of my house I like I, I had we were I had nothing living off change you know so you know I deserve it like people just don't understand how much fucking work it is or how insane it is like you know stand up looks easy TV you know it's like people don't get like the sacrifices that you have to fucking make look some people don't you know there's girls on YouTube are putting on mascara making a hundred grand a month like sometimes it's easy you know but this is a this is a business where Citizen Kane never got released you know what I mean like how are like it's fucking crazy Shit gets made, great shit doesn't, great shit gets made, nobody watches it, shit doesn't get watched. It's just, there's no rhyme or reason. So I don't think I understood that. So you actually left Canada with Spencer. Yeah, Will Smith gave us 20 grand each and we moved to LA. That to was David TV. Tochterman, right? Yeah, Tochterman and, uh, yeah, Tochterman and, was and the JL guy. Lasser. Yeah, JL. JL gave us the cash and then yes. Tochterman, who I'm still, is my agent. Uh, At Innovative Artists. Yeah came and 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 did it so we did we went to the pitchathon he got us into the pitchathon is where tom green started and it was a very big deal to do the pitchathon so we go in front of graden like the head of mtv and all these brian guys. graden yeah and um john um john miller the guy who found tom green brought us into the pitchathon and we pitched our show in front of everybody they gave us money to do a slideshow I got no two grand or something. And we did first one to start a cult wins. And so Spenny went out with a sign and I went to the beach and, and tried to, you know, like really like pretend I had seen God. And, and so, but we're doing a slideshow. I wish I still, I might still have those slides. And, and when we go in the room, Miller goes, don't crank any fucking Jew jokes. Like they're not do the Jew shit. So the second I walked around the room, I go, this isn't the Nussbaum bar mitzvah. <laughs> and his head goes down and like that. We killed it. But thank God we killed it because if we had Kenny versus Benny on MTV to start, they would have given us nothing and they would never have let us pluck the fucking show. What happened was we get, we end up getting a deal at USA network with this guy, Stephen Chow. He gets fired. Doug Herzog from Comedy Central. My first guest on this podcast. Picks up, uh, um, cancels Kenny versus Spenny. He does, doesn't like it. Stupid garbage. He shows it to his kid, his 10-year-old kid. kid. This fucking kid didn't even laugh. You know what I mean? Like, who? what kid doesn't laugh at Kenny versus Spenny? So so he, he cancels it and then allows... Moraine is to pluck it from him. You can't do that anymore. Years ago, you could take a show that somebody develops and eventually Matt Stone convinced him to take the show even though he hated us. And uh, then they they ended up pulling it. But uh, it's weird. It's just a full circle thing. The you know the pilot we did was who can gain the most weight and and I secretly submitted it to iFilm back then. This is like 2000. iFilm was big. I submitted it secretly, illegally. CAA was so mad. Somebody leaked it. And it got really big on iFilm. And, uh, and then it supersized me. I know he saw that fucking Spurlock, that idiot. He's shitty anyhow. You don't like supersize me? No, not really. No, but I sat in a wheelchair and ate McDonald's for a week and gained 30 pounds. I lived on filet of fishes You know what's fascinating, Kenny? You take a little homage from Tom Green yeah. and you're okay. 
Spurlock does a little bit of what you do. And a little bit. And he's not okay. Well, when it comes to Spurlock and, and Roger, or what's his name, Michael Moore and stuff, like, you know... I don't know. I just see it. It was a little too blue collar for me. You know what I mean? But that's not what you were alluding to. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. A lot of artists do that. One of the things that I found out on the show, uh, I interviewed Gallagher and I asked him, I said, did Letterman ever admit to you that he essentially borrowed or stole your watermelon thing and just dropping them at the fans yeah. and off the roof and Gallagher said if you notice he had me on the show within the last year or so of him retiring and his whole thing bringing him on the show he took me aside and he said listen I just want you to know that I stole I did do that <laughs> and I was trying to honor what you were doing and so it's very common yeah well look spenny's uh chaplain slipping on a banana you know what i mean like comedy was like where did comedy start it's it follows a fundamental rule and you can't avoid it and it's a tangent that people kind of manipulate and and tell me something you did in the show that no one could look at and say i saw that somewhere else well i'm i cracked a million jokes improv like quick wit i hate people who are like you know the stand-up guy it's like fuck you i've done 400 hours of improv comedy you know and i hate improv you know what i mean so <laughs> you so, hate improv and you're a master at it yeah but i i to me improv is you know i didn't write anything i didn't sit down and actually do the work and write anything so i i if i go to an improv show it's like hey star trek and uh, hey what am i oh you're a butcher you know what i mean so so I think you can use that as a trait to evolve into something, probably like a talk show host or something. But Kenny versus Benny was a show that was developed that highlighted both of our characters so perfectly. Just luckily that happened that I happened to fall into the perfect characterization of my persona. And Spenny too, like we, it, it amplified our foibles and made us totally free to be ourselves and go fucking ballistic so so uh, uh, could should i be blamed because you know in some of them i'm doing some characters that i reminded me of sctv or or python or you know the goonies or whatever it's like well, whatever these these are these are you know we we all have our doctorates in comedy because we watched every fucking comedy show ever made and and it's got to come from somewhere so yeah it's an evolution and uh did i, I outright steal anything i tried not to i don't like doing that I, I, I hated repeating a joke or someone else's joke, but you know, like I said, I was a stoner in high school, so I, half the jokes I know, I can't even remember who the fuck made them or if they're mine. Like who fucking remembers? Your brain is just this, you know, goulash of shit from, you know, from 48. Okay. Who remembers anything? If I didn't have my name on my fucking underwear, I would, would know who the fuck I was. I wonder if Calvin Klein felt the same way. Yeah. That's who I think I am. I thought I was Calvin Klein. Marcy Klein, the executive producer of Saturday Night Live, I remember a great quote. She says, it's very difficult when I become intimate with men when they take off their pants and I have to see my father's name. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So you're in Los Angeles. You're living in somebody's garage, probably not paying any rent. No, I was 500 a month. 500 a month. Are you living with Spencer in the garage? No, Spenny eventually hooked up with some rich asshole chick 
he was such a fucking asshole. He started doing stand up and he was so bad. But he was like, oh, you know, I'm so big now and I'm so great. I can't hang out with you. I didn't have a place to leave my mail. I asked Spenny, hey, do you mind if I just take, send my mail to your house? Like, I'm, you're getting a, you know, a Chase Manhattan bill once every year. Like, I had no mail, maybe a, a, a jury notice or something. Not even a Victoria's Secret catalog? Nothing. He said no. That he won't let me use his, like, who doesn't, yeah, send your mail to my fucking house. I'll call you if I get a letter. Like, who, like, what a scumbag. He was a dick. He, uh, whatever. He was a fucking asshole. So where was the bathroom in the garage? Uh, there was, yeah, there was a bathroom in the garage. A shower? Yeah. A shower and a bathroom, yeah. It was, like, it was a kind of nice rent. Air conditioning? Garage. Uh, no air conditioning. No, and I had, I was in Venice, so there was an infestation of ants. Ants were dropping on me from the ceiling. Like, it was like a, it was fucking biblical. It was like the worst. And I ended up stapling a bed sheet up there so, you know, the ants would fall on the bed sheet and I'd have to empty like once a month this massive fucking pile of dead ants. It was fucking brutal. So all your money runs out. No car. No Five car. Years. Five years. Do you have a day job? No. What am I, an idiot? So- <laughs> well, I I was working. I was. I had a friend who um, had a catering company. So I was doing like the warp tour and catering. And then uh, it's funny. I, I my girlfriend when I was sixteen turned out to be Joni Mitchell's long lost daughter. So Joni took me in, and I, you know, stayed with Joni for a little bit. And she got me a job at Lionel Richie's house next door. And you know, I was sitting there at his house serving Orangina to his shitty kids, like spending a day sitting in the corner at some bar. And you know, one of the little shits wanted a fucking drink. I'd be pouring his juice. But he gave me like 600 bucks a day. He was a super nice, generous guy. $600 a day to be his own private bartender. Yeah, to serve shitty drink Kool-Aid to his shitty kids. Just stay at a bar and serve Kool-Aid to yeah. his kids. Yeah, if they wanted one. So Nicole Richie, you were serving her. Yeah, I, well, she wasn't around much, but those other little shits were there. Just spoiled fucking brats. And then I did some Scientology. I was shucking oysters at Scientology parties because my friend catered Scientology parties. And she's like, can you shuck oysters? And I went, yeah, of course. And then she'll go, well, be here at 3 o'clock. So I had to run to Santa Monica Seafood. And, and can you teach me how to shuck an oyster? And I like learned right there like five minutes before I had to run to this fuck, take a bus to this fucking party. And, uh, so you're taking buses everywhere to Lionel Richie's house. You're taking buses. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, when I lived with Joni, she would take me to like Fred Siegel to get my hair cut and everything was free. So, but I'd have to tip the washer 40 bucks for to get my hair washed and she'd take me breakfast, lunch and dinner, but I couldn't be a, a schnorr and I'd have to drop like 10, 20 dollars on the table for every meal cuz I didn't want to get treated. And it was I was costing me more to live there for free than I than I got to split. But you said one of the most important things that people don't understand and and this is something that I always try to when I started as a manager in part on comedians when you first start headlining at comedy clubs the most important thing to do is to over tip everybody so you finish your week and or every night you give each waitress a twenty dollar bill you give the manager and the doorman who took care of your people a twenty dollar bill and so the whole week you might spend 20 percent of your money in the beginning 
on tips and say, what am I doing? But you will always go back because they remember yeah. the people that took and care of them. And they know that you're poor and they're respected. And I, I was, I bartended, you know, you live on that shit, especially in LA, you know, but even here, like I, I do that stuff all the time. So Spenny and I have played here five times at big shows. They give you some scale cash. I've never accepted the cash. I said, look, I don't want that fucking money. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Go buy the girls some fucking Subway sandwiches in the office. And so they made me like a, you know, kind of consulting executive and I get a free J- JFL pass every year and I see the guys and I hug and I can come here anytime I want. You know what I mean? Just because I didn't take 400 bucks for a couple of shows. Like, you know, fuck it. It's not worth it. One of my favorite stories that I've told once on the show at the Just for Last Festival is that I came here with Chappelle one year when I was managing him. It was the first year. He was like probably 18 years old. And the travel just got all fucked up and we were just completely lost in transition. We finally got here, we were exhausted, and we got to the front desk and it was Debbie Siegel, who is married to Gabe Sachs now, and it was Maureen Taran, who's a great executive and manager. And we said, listen, a lot of the stuff got messed up and we just want to let you know that that happened. And they were like, my God, you guys are so nice. Yeah. Normally when something gets messed up, people get so mad at us, they yell at us, they're so rude to us. I said, what do you do when somebody's mean to you and they don't treat you with respect and courtesy and niceness? Oh, she said, that's easy. Look over there by that pillar. I look over by the pillar and there's an executive who I know. And I said, I'm looking at him. What, what do you want me to look at? You see how his laminate and his uh, the thing around his neck, you see how yours is, how it hangs down around, down to your belly button with the laminate? Yeah. I said, look at his laminate. And I look over and I say, well, it seems like his cord that holds the laminate is like Too half as small as everybody else's. Yeah. You notice anything else? Yeah, it doesn't seem like centered. She said, that's right. We give the people who we don't like, who are mean to us, a cord that's half the length. And then we cut the hole on the corner so the tag goes diagonally so that everybody at the festival, when they run into that person, they know that's the asshole. (laughs) That's funny. And so you were nice to everybody all the time. Yeah. But you're struggling and you're trying to get things going and you're essentially one room away from being homeless. Yeah. Yeah. And the first big break you have, how does it happen? What happens? Five years, how do you keep the faith? How do you it know? It was tough. It was really hard. I was having, like, uh, honestly, like mini nervous breakdowns. I, m- my shitty friend, got me in as an extra. Like, I was fucking broke. Like, Piss poor, 70 G's in debt by the time a guy can't even spend any. He got me this job as an extra. And and one one of these commercials was a deodorant commercial that I got on. And it's all of these football players, uh, you know, ready. And then these cheerleaders attacked one of the football players who had this deodorant smell. And the background was the stadium. And they put me and like five other people in the stadium. Can you sit there? So it looked like that there was people in the back, like just some people in the background, even though I'm a photographer, it was a short focal length on the camera. They never saw me. And I was sitting there in the back for fucking eight hours, just sitting and, you know, quarter mile away is this commercial going down. I was sitting there going, oh my God, my fucking life is, this is the worst, worst fucking nightmare ever. That I, I was just the lowest 
on the totem pole in the entire fucking city for celebrity. Like I, I could not have been any lower at that moment. And for those of you who don't know, even today, an extra probably makes fifty-three dollars a day yeah. after taxes. Yeah, it was it was the worst nightmare ever. But I feel like life is kind of like a roller coaster that you can't really, you know, until you hit the fucking bottom. For me, at least, that's when I really got, you know, motivated and just fucking did what, you know, did my stuff. And my stuff was so, you know, um, like you could see the desperation in it, which I think the audience could relate to. But that's the bottom. That's the lowest point. So tell our audience what happens to turn it all around. Why for five years you're doing things in a certain pattern and you're collecting ants in a sheet above your bed and why one day the pattern changed because you would in because you're in la you would intermittently just do these little snippets of content with people and i would see them like oh my god that's so good this is great and i would show them to people and you know i i had like some friends come over and they they'd sit and they'd watch it and they'd be laughing their heads off in my room like in watching tv and that gave me the inspiration going okay no i'm gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay and then the other thing is it's just like you know there's two types of people in the world happy and unhappy and I felt like I have a dream and I'm going to do it. And if I quit, I'm going to fucking hate myself. And I knew, look, you know, you got it. James Dean was sweeping fucking floors trying to pay for, you know, uh, his, 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 you know, acting school and Marilyn's, you know, flapping her tits in front of photographers so she could, you know, pay for acting class. Like, you know, you know, this is like nothing that, that, the Marx Brothers or or Three Stooges or any of these guys, it's it's a rite of passage to suffer in Hollywood and get the shit kicked out of you. And you know, I'm I'm I know Hollywood and I know, you know, I I, I know the drill, and I had to take it up the ass. And you know, it's it's perseverance and luck. You don't even have to be good. If you persevere and you get fucking lucky, those two things you can make it and you just have to deal with it and it fucking sucks all right so tell our audience what's the first thing that happened that turned things around and showed you hope and then showed you that hey holy shit it's finally happening well we did the we we got the kenny versus spenny pilot well first i got the mtv pilot canceled fuck fuck you then we got the USA Network pilot. Oh, I'm doing it and it gets canceled. They pull the plug, but I put it to, I managed to put it together and it was so good. Like it was so unique and great and real and fucking indie and gorilla. Like I knew, I, I knew it was a new genre and I knew that it was, it, it had uh, an air to it that was just totally, I, I knew somebody out there would fucking get it. And so uh, somebody out there got it. And you know what? Like I said, we, we had some, I had some friends that I could pass it to. And you know, there's a lot of people that'll help you in LA, but they can only help you if you give them something to help you with. You know what I mean? So I just, I always wanted to give people something that that they could use to sell. So, you know, and then it's the same, it all goes back to photography. You know, if you have an incredible photograph, you can sell it. So you have to get that fucking picture. You have to get that content. People come up to me all the time. What do I need to do to make it? You know, be fucking great. Just be great. That's it. And so you, similarly to going up to 
Neil Simon, you get rejected at MTV through your own doing because yeah. you didn't listen to what John Miller told you to do. Yeah. You said in the beginning of this that you have to play the game. And I believe in that instance, I'm going to go out on a limb. And that would be the one place where I would say it would be okay to not do any Jew jokes because that would never have affected how your content would have been. But I know what you were thinking, and a lot of artists think this way. Well, if he wins that battle, then he's going to ask me another thing, and then he's just going to own me for the rest of the thing. Yeah, but that turned out to be a great thing, like I said. It worked out yeah. okay. It took you to the next place. But the next place you went, day two crushed you like a bug. Yeah. So now you've got two definitive no's where you've been all the way at... It's almost like you're having sex with the girl and just before everything's about to happen, she says, you know what, we have to go. But I haven't finished, we have to go. Yeah. And then you never see her again. Yeah. And so then, so you've been rejected twice, and the third time, what happens? And how do you stay focused and believing in yourself? Well, what happens is, so, you know, we get the CBC show, we're number one in Canada, number one at the broadcaster, they cancel us. So after the rejection at MTV, after the rejection at USA, where you get to finish the pilot with the funds and then don't realize it, and you realize you can't sell it right then and there in the United States because USA will be pissed, you show it to somebody in Canada, the CBC, they love it. Which was rejection for us. Like, we were so upset that we couldn't sell the show in the US, and we got to go back to shitty fucking Canada and go do the show. Why shitty fucking Canada? Because we're in LA. It's the factory. I'm, you know, sitting there, I'm I'm seeing, you know, Charles Nelson Riley at Musso and Franks and sitting next to uh, like you know it's funny funny first time I ever went to LA 98 I go to Sushiko in Beverly Glen to go meet some guys uh, who are friends of ours and I walk in and I hit some lady in the face with a glass door I just like Aah! and I look up it was Streisand I hit her in the fucking face you know what I mean like this this, this is the place where you are you know where and then did you say Barbara listen could you say a little my mom Oriental uh, I felt terrible. But you know what I mean? Like, that's what happens when you're in LA. You're in a place, you're some shitty little kid from Bathurst and Eglinton in Toronto. And all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're bumping into, like, uh, I was at uh, Nate Nell's once getting a bagel, and I see Frank Jr. sitting there. And I said, Oh, Mr. Sinatra, I saw you in Vegas. You were amazing. He goes, Sit down. And uh, he goes, You hungry? I go, he goes, have a scoop of tuna. They got great tuna. And I sat, I sat for an hour and talked to Frank Jr. You know, it's like that's the type of place it is where next thing you're living at Joni's house and, and Dylan's sisters and Michelle Phillips are showing up going, where's Joan Joan? And you're like, whoa, trying to act cool. And for those of you who aren't from this area, Musso and Frank's is a historic restaurant in Hollywood that's been around forever. And the waiters have been there for 50 yeah. years and they wear those vests. And it's just like old, old Hollywood. And I think it's truly probably the last restaurant that is old Hollywood. And believe it or not, young people from all over love to just hang out there and go. And it's the one place where you really feel comfortable, even if you're not comfortable with an older crowd or whatever. It mixes magically. And, and I would go there. 
to have a cup of coffee. Like, you know, I'm not going to go to Cantor. I love Cantor's. I would go there. But, and Cantor's, but I, is, if you don't know, is a very famous, the other place that's very old school. It's an old style Jewish deli yeah, on we Fairfax. Would go, I would go to Beverly Hilton and drink water or a cup of coffee. Like, I figured that if I'm going to be fucking broke, I'm going to go to where the richest coolest most happening people are what's odd is that what he's talking about is that these richest coolest most amazing people they'll oftentimes go to these places many of them like canters if there was a rating system of a is a rating system for the cleanest nicest restaurant and b is the other rating canters might get a c z-7 Musso and Frank's is a beautiful place, but it's old. It's like you're in a time capsule. The rug looks like it's been there for a long time. And the other place we mentioned, Nate and Al's, again, it's just nothing special, but it's the ambiance. Yeah, and and but I'm really good at going up to people. Like I, I, you know, I'm very cordial and I'm kind of diplomatic. And so I would see, you know, Rod Steiger, you know, or Burr Reynolds, and I just go. Oh. Dude, I'm like love the pawnbroker. Or, or I, I'm it was such a filmo, you know. I could mention, you know, uh, to Burt Reynolds. Um, you were so good in that. Um, uh, oh, fuck it. Well, yeah, I can't remember the movie, but zero. He's done weird, you know, crazy '60s things that I would mention. Go, oh my god, when I saw that with my brother, we were fucking floored. And uh, sit down, you know what I mean? And so you're just, that's one of the things that inspired you because you know all these people were super shitty, you know, like, and the reality is it's just, you know, like you meet Matt and Trey and you're sitting there in South Park and you're sitting there bouncing off the wall going, I want this. Like my shitty friends have this. I think I could have this. You know what I mean? So there was so much inspiring shit there because, you know, People stupider than me are selling stuff or huge. And I, you know, I can, oh, they're stupider than me. I'm sure I can sell something. And I lived in Venice because there was always somebody shittier than you that I would, you know, I was broke and eating fucking, you know, French fries. But some guy, you know, behind my house was waking up with sand mites in his hair. And I was like, okay, I'm still good. I'm still good. Like, if you want to move to LA and, and, and rough it with no car, go to Venice because everybody's doing worse than it's you. It's true. With the worst art in anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, fucking dolphin, bad dolphin art. Like, it's the worst. So you get picked up for 26, even though it's 100,000 an episode and 2.6 million, chances are the least amount of money you made for the 26 episodes was probably 130,000 each. And the most money you probably made was... 5G's an episode, I think. But for me, it was like, I would have done it for free. No, but the thing is, you finally break a hundred thousand dollars and now you have some money in your pocket but they cancel it why do they cancel it when it's a huge hit um well we were in acquisition there's different things cbc they did a lot of in-house shows all of their shows were in-house they were giving everybody a million an episode to do stuff and getting ten thousand viewers ours was a hundred thousand we're getting half a million viewers so we were it was just part of that kind of tom green era where all the union guys thought they were going to lose their job we don't hire any of them and the cbc started going why are we giving you this money when kenny versus benny's quadrupling your numbers for nothing and we became like this bone marrow cancer in the union where everybody got scared that they're going to start you know farming out all of this cheap shit to people that can really show them, you know, great numbers. And 
they had the worst viewers and numbers ever. And once you get a show that gets huge numbers, it shows everybody else how shitty they're doing. If everybody's getting shitty numbers. But isn't the goal of a network to get huge numbers? Not in Canada. You know, I went to a school and in the 80s, all of the Chinese came to the school. So, so the browners, the shitty nerds, they're like the bell curve dropped. The Chinese were getting like A pluses and everybody else in the school did so shitty compared to these Chinese guys that came in that, you know, it just put everything in perspective about how useless we are as students and how but shitty we are. But they didn't expel the Chinese students. No, but everyone who did shitty realized how shitty they were. But they didn't expel the Chinese students. They expelled Kenny versus Spenny. Yeah. Why? Um, well, we were edgy and weird, and what happened was, I think uh, our executive producer Moranis went to them and said, "You know what? You're, they have a leash on, and they could, you know, they'll go." Showcase wanted us. They said, "Let them go to Showcase because they can do what they so really you went want." Went to another Canadian. We, we did two shows for CBC that couldn't air. They couldn't air them, so they're like, Ugh. Why couldn't they air them? Well, one was Who's a Better Parent, where we had these robot babies that cried, and I drop-kicked mine and threw it off bridges and, you know, beat the shit out of it. Even though it was just a doll, all of our executives were moms. Remember the Chappelle show where he drop-kicks the baby? No, but I love Chappelle. So it gets picked up at the Showcase Network in Canada. Does yeah. it do another season there? Six seasons. Oh, five more seasons. So the people so from CBC, there. did they ever come up to you and say, you know, we kind of made a mistake? No, there. but I've gone to them and say, like, you know, one of them, one of the presents that comes up to me, go, hey, the Beatles. And I was like, fuck you. You know, like, uh, what happened? Why'd you fire us? He's like, eh, whatever. So you do six seasons. But I was happy. You see... The you know I'm got our show it's canceled and I'm like fuck fuck I moved back from L A we have a huge show and they canceled us we are fucked and then just turned out to be a great thing got it we ping ponged from all of these places we got canceled a million times and just you know, Family Guy too that happened not that we're I would compare myself but shit happens why not in Canada it is comparable yeah. So you do six seasons. How many episodes? Ninety-one. Well, and and a and a uh, movie of the week. But didn't you do some best ofs or things that were extra episodes or no? No, I, we did ones that we did like who is the biggest retard, which they refused to air. Uh -huh. They said you're not allowed to make fun of mentally handicapped people. I said I've been doing that for four fucking years. You never complained before. But uh, then we did like we we're doing stuff like. You know, I was really proud of the show because people think we're just some shitty jackass, a, a series of unrelated vignettes, so we beat each other up. This was a, a, a narrative, you know, documentary sitcom, and, and it was very highly moralistic, and I think that's what people really love about it. We did Who Do Gay Guys Like More, and we both tried to fuck the gay guy and embarrassing our, some of our shitty homophobic audiences. Like, you know, we do Who Could Drink More Beer, Spenny Drinks 90 Beers and Almost Dies, and people are like, whoa. Being an alcoholic is bad, you know, we, and all, everything we did, I designed. So it's like, who can eat more meat? People are trying to stop eating meat. Who can gain more weight? People are trying to lose weight, you know, and, and, you know, we do stuff where I had a tranny suck Spenny off on nationally on television. And in the end, you know, it's just like, well, fuck you. It was a good blowjob. And it, and that like is so moralistic and so great. And I had a Down syndrome kid in the show. 
We did who the old Jewish ladies like better. I teach this kid to tell him that Spenny molested him, but I never called him a retard. We actually became really good friends and hung out and you know had fun. So I we never exploited anybody but ourselves. And 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 when you really look at Kenny versus Spenny, you know, we did one episode where who the kids like more, and this was on the CBC when we started, and I had all these nutcracker sweet presents in my room hidden in the closet, like the most beautiful boxes with ribbons and bows. They looked like the, the most majestic gifts. And I went to the kids, and I brought them out of the closet, said, if you pick me, you get the presents. So at the end of the show, whether they like Spenny more or me more, whatever, they all pick me and I take them, I like, yay, I win, I win. I take them all upstairs to my room and I hand out all of the presents and they open them up and they're all empty. It's like, fuck you, here's a good lesson. And the parents came up to me and go, oh my God, you taught my kid like the best lesson. Don't like, don't take a fucking bribe, you know? And, and so I thought that was a really good thing. I think we stopped kids from being like molested by pedophiles. They knew that shitty adults are assholes. And that, is, that Kenny versus Penny actually stopped kids from getting into fucking people's cars because they're like, whoa, you know, they could relate to how shitty we were. And, it, and I'm really proud of that. That's fantastic. So Comedy Central does an acquisition. Why doesn't Comedy Central do new original episodes well they they came on board they did new they did we, we, they were partnered with showcase and did some new episodes yeah but so they were on for i think season four five season four or season five but they started airing the original ones first they picked up some old ones which i didn't really like i was like i, I had a whole like list of the best episodes and and uh some of the execs were i like this one i like that one that's how the business comes in where you're not going to go, you know, for it's so blo like my mind is blown. But they came on board when Spenny was so impossible to work with and so shitty, so horrible and such an asshole that it's, you know, we had done so much with them. By the time they came on board, I was kind of like we we're both kind of done with it. So it was hard to not that I wouldn't have done it and I tried to do it, but. It was. And uh, how much money did they give you an episode for those shows? The new ones. We were up, we were up to about I think three fifty. Three fifty, and it was a split with Showcase for yeah. the money. Got it. Okay. Which was a you know now it's like I'm meeting guys downstairs. I'm like oh I'm doing a reality mobisode and it's it's under 500 and i'm just like oh fuck you your fucking mobisode sucks and you're so shitty how is someone giving you five hundred thousand dollars for a shitty four minute youtube video like you know we go to places trying to get a feature nobody nobody gives us anything no nobody even realizes how great we are or how famous we are it's like there's a total disconnect between the industry and how you know, I've got a million fucking fans on Facebook and shit. It's like, nobody gets it. I don't know. It's just so, it's so disheartening. Not that I care. I'm really lucky and I'm super happy about it. And I, I'm couldn't, I have the best life ever and I couldn't be happier, but still like you think whoever has the most Facebook fans is a person that should get the show. But this is why it is, is because you've changed. You stopped being the person that you were and you're a different person. You'd have everything you want if you didn't feel so comfortable. You're not working as hard as you worked before. When you were fucking in that garage, you don't have to, yeah. You were thinking about how do I gotta oh, get anything, going? Yeah. The desperation, the thing. Now you have all the money you need. Chances are 
if I could be so bold, that you never have to work again as long as you live and your probably child doesn't have to work. Well, and kids so, will have to work <laughs> that rich. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, But the point I'm trying to make is yeah. that you're not getting up in the morning, every morning, thinking about the plan of how I'm going to pitch this next show. And when they, if somebody passes on that, when I'm coming out to LA the next month and pitching the next show, and if they pass on that, I'm coming out again and doing this one. Well, yeah, yes and no. The reality, uh, after Kenny versus Penny, a, a, a couple years later. I'm talking about now. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you about now. Now, first of all, I have some cool friends and, and I... The, the, the only thing I have is cool. It sounds lame to say, but I'm trying to maintain my cool because that's the only fucking commodity that I have that makes me useful in the entertainment business. And, you know, I my entire life, I've just always tried to go up the ladder. That's all I've tried to do is not do something shittier than what I did before. So it's. A good idea comes around once every three to five years. It's like a it's like a soulmate or a chick or whatever. Like you only meet a good one every five or ten fucking years, and that's like it. And a good idea, I don't want to do a fucking shitty idea. And when you know, like recently, I've been inspired to do some something decent, and and that's like, oh my god, I that's it. I love it. I want to fucking do it. And so so you know, it takes a really long time. I just don't want to do anything shitty just to make fucking money because you'll you'll always. You know, it's funny. Trey said to me once, said, there's two types of people, the people who do shit to make money and the people that do shit to make art. And the people that do shit to make art will always make way more money than the fucking idiots who are doing shit just to make cash. And I figure if I just hang back and, you know, I feel like I'm a shitty Sid Barrett. You know, you just kind of like make... So I've made three good albums, or to me. And, and you know, you got to make a great fucking album. And I think it's a wave, and you ride the wave. And, and you know, you're just always trying to get a bigger wave. And if you can surf that bigger wave, you just go up the ladder. And I'm waiting till I have the opportunity to do something that's so great that, you know, it's better than anything I've made before. And and that's all I want to do is just make something better. And it's hard to find those ideas or to, to be motivated to do something fucking great. But I know you have the ideas. I know you have the money. In this day and age, to make a pilot presentation, literally, you probably could be homeless and make a pilot presentation. Yeah. So... I don't understand why you don't peruse well, through your group of ideas. Just listen yeah. to me for one second, because this is important yeah. for you. I think for okay, you. please. Because uh, you, you have all these great ideas. I'm sure you have hundreds of yeah. them. You say good ideas are hard to come by. I know you know you can blow the dust off your treatments. Sure. And you have some great ideas. You have money. But you're not shooting these ideas now. You're not making them. You're not casting them and doing them and then going out with them. And then if that doesn't work, shooting another one and keeping a slate going and, and taking a percentage of the money that's in your bank account and betting on yourself again. Yeah. You're waiting for somebody else to write you a check, which is the thing that you violently opposed to your whole life. Yeah. So why are you doing this? Because I'm feel like I'm in a situation where, you know, the last show I did was $500,000 an episode and to, to, I, I feel like I'm a person that has walked into rooms and sold shows. I just don't have some, anyone in LA that's savvy enough or cool enough that I trust and love enough that will put me into rooms with people that can green light where I know this is the most important thing about the biz. And it, it, it 
you have to believe what you're doing is great. But you already do. I know, but who's? But I can't get in front. Like I, I can't go in front and get into a room with. I just need a really wicked fucking agent who loves but, me I mean, and gets but, me and just says show up to this building. But the thing building. is, like, I don't understand. Like, I could make ten phone calls and you'll be in the room. Well, so that, I, well, then I'm. Uh, yeah. Well, this I'm telling you, empires. Am I are the built. only guy in the world? That's yeah. Bl- yes, you are because the market's so oversaturated with everything. People are, you know, you know, like there's mega stars. And you know how hard it is to sell a show in LA. Like, it, it, it's it's tough. I, I just it, you have to find a home and you have to find a family. And every time you finish a show or it gets canceled, you lose your family, you lose your your executives, you lose your 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 you know consultants and your writers and your camera guys, and they all fucking wander off like a, somebody opened a fucking can of bees and everybody flies off anywhere. When you got cash and when shit's going on and everything's together, everybody fucking loves you. You're buying everybody houses, but the second you can't sell a show, everyone fucks off on you because because uh, you're 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 lazy and you're a fucking loser. But listen, if I had somebody that that you know really loved me and shared my voice and was cool and and totally inspired me and helped me you know create and develop something incredible i would fucking suck, like literally suck their dick because i'm i'm just that 6 year old kid that just wants people to see my shit would you at least paint your nails of course okay no i'm saying i that's what i love it's just I've been so lucky to be back in that situation to do something so fucking great. And that's why Chappelle's so great and and Family Guy's so great and South Park is so great and Tom was so great because they were in a place that, you know, it's a garden and you're a seed and you need the fucking soil and you need the water and the light. And it's very hard to be in a situation like, oh, what am I going to go do something for Disney XD? Some shitty fucking kids like singing dance show that I'll, I'll, I'll fucking kill myself. You know, I, I, I just the opportunity, the correct opportunity hasn't opened up to me. And which is which sucks because I really do feel like if if somebody gave me a really good shot and had an idea that was mutually fruitful that fit their mandate and I loved it I I would fucking kill it I swear to God like I would kill it so you take the last pilot you did trial for the will yeah so that was 500,000 an episode yeah about 475 all right 475 be honest with me in the audience the first episode you have the plan you know what it all is you see it and it's right there and I tell you Kenny, I want you to make it with your resources, everything you have with your own money, and I want it to look as good as the episode looked that they spent four seventy five on. Yeah. Be honest with our audience. If I gave you that task, how much would it cost to finish that pilot and deliver it? Uh, with your nothing. Res- with your like, resources, how much? <laughs> 11 G's. That's right. $11,000. Camera, good, good, uh, camera, editor, $2,500 a week. Kenny, put a slate together, put six things together, commit $100,000 of your own money, and make six pilots a year and kick fucking ass and stop with the craziness of waiting for somebody to write a check for four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Oh, I wanted eight hundred thousand. No, I've been. I I have some projects out there, but I yeah. I know, but I'm just saying, 
you are a leader. You're a guy who makes things happen. You can make anything happen. The problem is there's no problem. The problem is you. Here's the problem: is that you're no matter what you do, you keep. I keep getting canceled. Who cares? It's it's. Uh, is that why you're not doing it? You're afraid of getting canceled. Well, no, I'm af- I'm afraid that the the people who I'm going to give it to aren't going to get it. Like, yes, I could do a sizzle reel, this or that, but I and don't know. fear and success they but, go but, together well. But I I'm not saying it's it's do fear. They go together I'm just well? saying that you did say fear. Uh, historically, all I've done I've walked in the room with presidents and sold shows. Like I I don't need to. Uh, you You're know, the I, most successful television producer in Canadian history, probably. It's a they're genre pieces. Nobody nobody. Uh, the, you so know the million you know people on YouTube Have don't you give the a comedies shit? they're doing in Canada. Yes, but the million- How am I supposed to walk into a room and sell a comedy to somebody who's done you know the worst fucking show? So don't in the go history to Canada. Well, that's what I did. I avoided Canada. But you're still not answering the question. Why aren't you making these pilots for eleven thousand? I, I may be tra- I may be traumatized by all of the work that I've done. And I'll tell you, my last show, you know, you don't know what's going on. Like, like I'm doing a show. I'm trying to get my mom laid. If nothing happens, I'm fucked. Like, it's so much. Why are you fucked? Because a lot of my stuff is documentary. Yeah. So something has to happen in the documentary for shit to get funny. And it's the most dangerous thing you can do is is go out there and pray to God something happens. And luckily for some fucking I got a horseshoe up my ass. Luckily for some reason and my stuff historically weird stuff is happening and all and I managed to turn out some good stuff. So uh, it, it it's just so dangerous. I've been so lucky. It's a Russian roulette for me. You know, you keep spinning it, you keep spinning it, and that bullet doesn't go off. And I'm just scared that I'm gonna do something. It's gonna turn out so shitty that I'm gonna fucking destroy my my. But this is the thing, Kenny. If you spend your own money and produce your own stuff, and it comes out shitty. Then you bury it, and you start with the next thing. I I kind of moved into sitcom or that type of narrative scripted. It's 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 not eleven G's like it's eleven G's for me to run out and go do a vice show. All right, a vice Let's comedy. Let's just take one of your pilots yeah. that you've written that's scripted. Yeah, how much will it cost to make it here? Uh oh, it's any stu- with your money. Any studio stuff, <laughs> yeah, probably might be able to bang it off for a couple hundred G's. Can in a, studio scripted actors oh my god for sure your friends casting it your friends who are cameramen finding probably a studio. 80 90 100 like to do a real studio uh narrative with all the favors you can pull it's going to cost eighty thousand dollars well i think I, I i think i could bamboozle somebody like you say yes to go Make a sizzle reel for free. I'm going to say you could do it for between twenty five and yeah, 50000 Probably, yeah. So make the scripted show. You're talented. You're amazing. That's so weird idea. It's a good point. I don't know why I'm just so kind of turned All right, turned this off is what you it. have to do. You have to look me in the eyes, and you have to shake my hand, and you have to <laughs> promise me. I've, I've, you have to promise me by, do by Thanksgiving there's <laughs> going to be a full pilot that's going to be done and finished, Fine. and you okay. produce it. On my father's grave, you promise. I swear to God I will do that. Okay. I'm All totally right. lying. I, well, my, that whole father's grave th- stuff means nothing. Okay, you're lying to me. Why don't you... Can you Are you lying you, to me? Of course. Well, you got to shake my hand and not lie. I well, want to know. I, my generation, shaking hands, swearing on Bibles, that means nothing. All right. Well, 
that's why I'm unique because I can swear on my father's grave, shake your hand, and totally be lying. What will it take for you not to lie and promise me you'll make this thing by Thanksgiving? Well, I think that I think that I just need to find somebody who who has the, who I believe will pick it up if they saw it. Why? Well, because that's what you have to do. You have to, you know, you need a broadcaster to show your shit. I know, but so it, I do all this stuff. I know, but and it's so hard. And, but you and, pitch it, and you'll see if it gets picked up. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, so why? Yeah, I know, but I can so walk what? In, you've I lost. So into, you've lost fifty thousand dollars. I know, Big but deal. I can walk into a room, and what what I've done historically is just walk into a room and do that without it, without any sizzle reel or anything. It's a different time, Ken. Yeah, it might be. You might be right about that. How do I get you to promise without lying that you're going to do it? I'll help you. Okay, well, that's different. You want to help me do that? I'll help you. Okay. You if promise? you help me, I will do it. You promise? Yeah, I promise. You're not lying. No, I just need someone on board that that I trust that gets it, that can, you know, help me figure it out. The only thing I can help you figure yeah. out is get it in front of the decision makers. But yeah, you exactly. have to make the extraordinary piece of work, which I know you'll do. I know you'll hire great actors. I happen to think you'll probably direct it as well. Yeah, of course. And you'll have your vision and nobody will change anything. It'll be everything that you want it to be. You are right about having to produce content now. Like you have to do, you have to come in with a sizzle or something like that, 100%. All right, let's talk about how your partner in crime, when you're working with somebody and you're beholden to somebody, you can't do the show without that person. Yeah. Talk about when that person goes off the rails and you're the guy who has to try to keep it all together. How do you handle that? Well, most shows historically when there's a partner go downhill when the your partner's fighting and you don't get along with them. Organically, Kenny versus Spenny got better. The more I hated Spenny, the meaner I was to him, and the better the show got. It was just this unique situation where no matter how much we hated each other and the worse it got, the show got better. Like, I think it's probably the first time in history something like that happened. But Spenny is so shitty, and after doing that for so many years, you know... It. I just. I, I. I. was just doing like most of the work constantly, and he had this thing where, you know, that's not how I choose to direct. He thought that me spending time in the edit suites, mixing, doing everything, like leave that to other people. That's other people's job. That was his asshole way of saying that I can't get paid more for sitting there for six months while he goes back to L.A. to go try and sell another show. So when we did Kenny versus Spenny. In post-production on the very first season, I sat and I edited and mixed and I made our show alone. And he fucked off to L.A. and he tried to sell another show. Didn't even get what we were doing here. Like, you know, and he if he sat in the room or when he sat in the room, he's actually made the show better. Like, it's your job to come in, do notes, finish our fucking shit, make it as great as possible. But he, he just, you know, he's it was self-destructive. So it, it just wore so much. And, and by the end, we did an episode, uh, who could stay in Cuba the, or who could stay on an island the longest. And uh, he just didn't care. You know, he just, you know, he just got tired so of it. So if I were sitting down with Spencer yeah. and I said to him, break it down for me, 100% of the work on the show 
through the 91 episodes, if you add it all up, what percentage would you be and what percentage would Ken be? What would he say? If he was if he was here alone with you, he'd say, oh, 50-50. If he was sitting here with me, he'd say, oh, well, Kenny did most of the work. Yeah, I did most of the work. I wrote every episode, every competition. There were two competitions he gave me. And it wasn't a Writers Guild show, so you couldn't get the writing money for that. No, no. It was a reality show. To me, it was, you know, my stuff was all rigged and, you know, kind of pre-written because I'm, I have to go get gay guys to rape them. I have to go get a cap of bear. I got to go hire a tranny. So, you know, my stuff was very difficult for me where, where I had to kind of prepare what I was doing and, and create scenarios where I was funny. Like I had to, you know, we're doing fart episode. Okay. Uh, I got to stick a tube up my ass and learn to fart. And whereas Spenny was mutual of Omaha, he was just a, a documentary. Like you would just film him and put the cameras on him. And that was history. Didn't no, hardly ever prepared for anything. I used to come in, his crew would come to me going, we got nothing for Spenny to do. And I'd say, oh, well, you know, we're trying to be fat. Go get, go interview a fat guy and see what it's like to be fat. And he'd go, okay. And then we're going off and interview a fat guy. I, it wasn't, it, it didn't affect the, him competing, but I was just trying to think of things. So get some fucking content for the show. Cause we got to edit the fucking thing. I never helped him win or anything. I was just trying to, you know, get the fuck out there and shoot some shit. Tell me the moment that happened in the relationship between you two where you went home that night you sat in the fetal position and you said we're done i'm never going to work with this guy again as long as i live he called me once first of all he's, he has this shitty cousin who who got involved in like it's like i've been working with you for 30 years i'm not talking to your shitty fucking cousin who's like wants to be a part of the show and come in and do all your fucking negotiating for you the guy's not even an agent a manager is no lawyer like it's nothing to do with the biz so he brought that guy in, and i was like fuck you i wouldn't even talk to them on the phone together and one day he called me and i never told the story one day he called me he said i don't like you i'm not your friend anymore and i was like you know, we were fighting and all of this stuff. And I, I went, what? He goes, I don't like you. I, you're not my friend. I said, uh, you're not my friend? Fuck you. And I canceled, I basically canceled Kenny versus Benny. Right there, right there and then. I went to the broadcaster. I said, you know what? This was after the Cuba episode and he wasn't pulling his weight and he didn't give a shit anymore. And I didn't want it. They ordered they ordered another season of Kenny versus Spenny season seven. And I knew Spenny, Spenny just doesn't have the fucking, he, he just, he, he, he's not, he doesn't care. He doesn't care enough to go do a great another season. So I said, fuck this. I said, I want to do a show where it's me versus the world where I go, you know, it's me trying to, you know, create love and, and stop war. And, and, you know, it's Kenny versus the world. And and Spenny went off and did like this total piece of shit, you know, curb. Everyone's doing a curb. He went off and did a curb. And he let everybody else direct and do all of their work. And it turned out to be the worst car crash in Canadian history. In fact, that show got the, the least viewed numbers out of any show in the history of Canada. It was terrible. So I, I kind of instigated that. And I told the broadcaster, too. I said... They said, well, we're going to do the show with Spenny. I said, just don't just don't have him act. Don't let him act. And they let him act, and the show was terrible. And he did it with, with um, David, uh, what's his name, Steinberg. And I was like, I loved Steinberg, but now it's like, oh, dude, how can you fucking do something that shitty? They did it for the money, I'm sure. 
But you know what? I and 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 he was humbled by it, and now he's great. He's back to where he was. We're friends, and and he's amazing, and we're killing on the live tour because you know I I I may, he really got fucking reamed on that. What do you do on the live tour? Uh, we uh, my, my motivation. I go on the live tour and I just get people to hate him. That's it. But what uh, do you do in the theater? I go up there and I just call him a pug rapist pedophile. And no, but you sh- have we, to do a ninety-minute show. No, what do you, do? you have to. They have to rip the mic out of my hand. We just. It's a, it's a, a barrage of of just deplorable shit that I say against Spenny, and we just we go at each other. It's we we are a, a well honed comedy duo. We do show some clips that nobody's ever seen and. And get into stories and talk about our shit. And you do that here in Canada or all across the world? We're, we're only doing – we're wearing out Canada and then we're going to do uh, – then we're going to do Europe, Australia, South Africa, Germany. Why not the United States? We're going to end in the States because all our, our audiences are in Australia, South Africa, and Germany. That's uh, where our biggest So in other words, if are. you put up a date, let's say, at the Wilbur Theater in Boston that holds 1,000 people, wouldn't sell? I think I don't know. I'm not sure because we hadn't. But really... you never tried to do one date in the United States. Never, not even one. I think we could fill three, four hundred seats anywhere and go on a sixty. You could city do a comedy tour. club tour, right? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I think. Yeah, but I see. I, I'm. I want to go where you know. You know, two thirds of my Facebook fans are from Germany and South Africa. Though, so why not start there? You know what I mean? Like there's analytics on my Facebook and YouTube pages of exactly where everybody is and where everybody's watching. So I'd like to milk, milk that cow. And who first. books you in those gigs? We're trying to find people, but it's like, you know, you don't even have. A it's hard to agent. convince, you know, Helmut von Steingein that you're a big star in Germany and he's never even heard of you. You know what I mean? Interesting. It's weird. It, it, it's a whole weird thing, but uh, the touring thing's been really good. And, and you know, the reality is it's like you work your ass off for 20 fucking years and you you make it and you make some fucking cash and I you got a nice house and starting a family and all of this shit and, and stuff comes into perspective for you. I would love to go and do a new show, but it has to be under the right conditions and it has to be has to be done correctly and i'm just so kind of turned off of the how hard it is to find that scenario and i don't want to just go out there and try and sell something but if i if i was in a position where i could find something i would be motivated to do what you're talking about if i had any advice for you or anybody out there who's an artist yeah if you could do it erase your memory except for the great memories of what worked erase all the memories of the bad things that are holding you back and if you can do that you're gonna just completely resurrect everything i'm just so scared to do something shitty that's not scared yeah like traumatized scared traumatized scared shitless yeah to to be in a scenario where i'm i end up doing something shit that i hate how can you do something shitty that you create well, because you end up with the you end up with the wrong people. A shitty actor could fucking kill you. You're some, casting some PA, the actor. Some PA can lose your fucking tapes. Like it's so insane. It's such a collaborative field, and so many people are. That's like saying forty nine percent of the marriages go down in flames and end. I didn't get married. I'm I'm had a baby with my girlfriend because of fucking divorces. Are you still married? No. Yeah. Ask yourself that question. How did that work for you? I asked the question. Why aren't you? Look, you're a fucking legend. Why, what the, why are you doing a shitty blog at JFL? What are you telling me to go do shit for? Where's your fucking show? Why aren't you Chappelle's agent? You found everybody. These are all excellent questions. Yeah. 
just, just put a mirror in front of you and you can talk to yourself <laughs> like that. I'm rich. I had three shows. I'm super famous. It's believe me. It's I. I'm very savvy. I'm savvy. I know. I. I just need. I, I just gotta find the right time and the right place. You know how this shit is very hard. But you know what? When you look in the mirror, you're looking at a guy who's aligned the planets and figured it out. Most people haven't figured it out. Like when I'm working with an artist, you know, I've done like probably a hundred development deals. Yeah. I know I can do it. Yeah. I'm not worried about it. I'm not scared that I can't do it. But why aren't you doing it then? Why aren't I doing what? Why aren't Why aren't you running some hot show on ABC? Or why Why aren't you out there pitching? Well, the last shit two shows I've had were canceled after two seasons. So I'm like you. Yeah, it's like all this work and and the numbers are great and. But why? I'll still keep going and yeah. and getting them on or trying to get them on. I'm pitching shows every month. Yeah, I th- I I think I just kind of needed a break i want you to know i'm not going against you i want you to win yeah i sit across from him and i see some guy who's a very talented guy who has a great heart and a funny soul the tired eyes yeah bedroom eyes they're called but anyway the point is is that you just have a very youthful way about you it's stunning to the audience and to me that somebody who's experienced the kind of success that you've had is thinking, God, I'm scared and I'm going to get the shit kicked out of well, me again. Not, it's not being scared. It's just, it's like I left L.A. in 2009. I moved back to Toronto. It's like you, like, it, you know how much work it is to go, like, I have to, if I want to go sell a show, I have to go move back to L.A. with my family and, you know, go find a wicked fucking agent and just, like, I, I go, sometimes I go when I pitch in L.A., there are two shitty guys sitting next to me who are fucking vultures that are madmen. It's like, holy shit, I remember being that guy. It's like, I'm 48. Like, it's it's like, to, you have to be a fucking madman to go. Go out there and and do it and sell it and go buy fucking David Spade drinks at the Soho house and, you know, be in the right elevator and run to Musso and Frank's and sit around eating herring so that, you know, Judd Apatow will walk and go, hey, you know, can you spend it? You know, like like it's a constant attacking grind to go and live that lifestyle. I haven't found somebody that that says, Kenny. Come out here. See, what I used to think was that you don't live to, need to live in L.A. anymore. It's, it's actually better for you that, oh, you know, this guy lives in Toronto. They're probably so sick of getting pitched by the same people that it's probably the first time in history where you're even, you're bigger and you're cooler that you don't live in L.A. But, you know, it's a collaborative effort. And if I had a, a cool agent, which I have in the past, had incredible agents, but they're gone now. It's like that said, you know, come here, meet this person. And uh, that's, you know, that's all I need is somebody to just go, hey, look, um, put a reel together and or do this or I love that idea. Do it. And I'll and I, I think this guy will go for it. I would gladly do it. You know what I mean? It's just it's L.A. and you have to be there and you have to fucking do it. And that is a whole different thing than than me living in Toronto and eating, getting free desserts because I'm Kenny because I'm famous. So so I bet the garage is still open. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, listen, there's a house they offered me for 160 G's when I was in debt on Abikini. You know, it's like if the house is worth 1.5 million now, if I had three G's to put down on a mortgage, I'd, you know, I would, uh, I'd still be there. Your biggest disappointment in show business and what you did from that defeat to 
do something that moved your career to the next level? Well, it's this, and I'm after this, I'm just going to go to Starbucks. No, really. What's your biggest disappointment in show business? Um, oh, I got this big shit about... I, I was so good at selling things that I while I while Kenny versus Benny was on the air during the break I went and sold a show to FX, and I'm green I didn't know like it would piss off Comedy Central if I got a show on FX. God fucking you know Jim Belushi can go sell 15 fucking shows on 10 different fucking networks. I can't uh, you know I get a shot to go do another show I can't do it. And guess what you can't fucking do it. So that's <laughs> that's kind of traumatized me. It's probably the reason why I haven't done anything in a while because it was just. You know, I, I was like number 18 on IMDb, you know, because I had two competing shows on two. It just it's just the way it worked out. I didn't plan it. I didn't want it to happen like that. And uh, and it was just this fucking, you know, shit storm that happened. And that's what happened. I both broadcasters were like, fuck you. Why are we trying to make you big when you're on another channel? And that's it. But I didn't know. I thought, God, everybody has two fucking shows on different channels. I just wasn't big enough to do that. But wouldn't they know before they bought the show? No, my agent would not let me tell Comedy Central that I sold the show before it came out, which was my mistake. I should have just done it. That's how I fucked up. You sold Testies right before Kenny and Spenny was to air on Comedy Central. No, it had already aired for a year. So, all right. So, uh, John Langraff knows at FX that you have a show on Comedy Central. Yeah, but John Langraff, I don't know if they were, you know, he... They were competing. He's a very smart man. And a very knows, nice man. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So he picked up your show knowing that it was on Comedy Central. Yeah, and then he, yeah. they said, oh, from South Park writer. And I worked there for three weeks and got fired. So it's like, not only are they mad at me, and then all of a sudden said, oh, the South Park guy. It wasn't even a South Park guy. I sat in the room and tried to, you know, order a salad or Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, it's like, that's a, basically all I did. And it just, it just got worse and worse. And how many episodes did Testies do? 13. And then the market, the U.S. market collapsed. So I'm, you know, it, they just gave like 40 million bucks to the guys from Sunny and they had to cancel all their shows, you know. So I don't know. I, I'm sure I had to do with it, but they were paying nothing for the show. I could have kept going. It was it was also done too fast, Testies. I, was, I just kind of got I got caught up in the whole Hollywood thing where people are like, you, we're giving you a show. But don't you think if the people and Spenny was so shitty. Like, like, it was just the worst time because he was such a fucking asshole and was, and he just deserved to get douched so bad for being such a dick that, like, to have like, who gets offered your own fucking show by Fox? Like, like, it's so rare. Like, it's like you can't turn down that opportunity no matter who the fuck you are. Well, you know, Chappelle can and other people can. I'm just some fucking shitty little schmo from Toronto. You know, but whatever. Uh, listen, it, I learned my, I, you know, I learned my lesson. I fucked it all up. I'm the guy that suffered for it. You know, but whatever. Well, now you're gonna turn it all around. Could come Thanksgiving, you're gonna I have could. a full pilot. I know, cause it's been like four years since I did anything. Thanksgiving, you're gonna have a full scripted pilot. You're gonna blow people away. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You put something great in front of somebody, they buy it. And when have you not done something great? Uh, right now. Okay. So you've done 91 episodes of Kenny 13, and Spenny. 13, 13 testes and six try for the wills. That's right. Yeah. So you've done over 110 episodes. Yeah. And how many of those episodes would you consider to be shitty? Two. One. One <laughs> percent. And that's Spenny's fault. They're shitty. Not mine. 
It's the collaborative idiots that you work with that end up fucking everything up. I think you're going to do okay. Okay. You're a good egg. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person or anybody who's living in a garage somewhere, piling up the ants, taking a salt and pepper and ketchup packets from Carl's Jr., and just trying to figure out how to get to the next level, not only as an on-camera person, but as a producer and sell and get to the point that they can have the kind of career that you've had. Now you can do it easy in your fucking underwear in your bathroom on YouTube. Everybody has their own network. I say don't do stand-up because there's no executives anymore out there going, I'm going to give you a shot, kid, and giving you a fucking sitcom. You can play to 7 billion people at home on your fucking computer, on your fucking iPhone. You can make a movie on an iPhone and win an Oscar. You really can. Like, if you, you can do anything at home alone with nothing. No one's ever had that opportunity. We never had that opportunity. We, you got YouTube now. You could be, maybe, you could be a billionaire. You can. And it could be one stupid song or it could be one bit or whatever. Everybody owns a network. Stop doing stand-up in clubs. Do it on YouTube. Hone your fucking skills and make it there. Because you know, why play to 50 people when you can play to five, seven billion, you know? And if your shit's good, cream rises to the top. It'll spider out there and you'll fucking make it. But it's got to be good. Or, or really bad. Uh, you know, it, it's one or the other. And it's a crapshoot anyhow. Listen... Everybody said, don't do this. Don't go into the biz. Don't do it. It's a it's a crapshoot. And then one of my friends, Peter Sussman, said, look, it's a crapshoot, you know, and people win a lot of cash, you know, in Vegas. So other people do it. You should do it. If that's what you want to do, go do it. But don't whine and bitch. It's not like nothing, nothing gets handed to you. It's work. It's so much work. And Neil Simon, back to Neil Simon, said, it's all in the work. Uh, don't worry about anything that people focus on making money and how do I get this and how do I that? It's just like you said, make that fucking pilot. Just do the fucking work. And if it's great, it'll be found, you know, and they could, you know, you can, you can sell. It's not, it's not hard to sell a show to, to, you know, Kevin Riley. It's hard to make a great fucking show to sell to him. But if you have anything that that's fucking great and you put it on YouTube, you you have a you have the hottest show in in America, you know. It's just you just got to do it. Not enough talk. I send it coffee bean for ten fucking years. Well, listening to idiots try and do their shit or talk about garbage. Write the fucking script and shut up. Awesome, awesome. You will be found, Kenny Hotz, on this podcast, and you will be heard. Thank you. And this was amazing, and I'm very very grateful. Thank you for having me. It's it really is an honor. You are a legend. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hit men from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. 
His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.